Uh, let's just get this party lit. What do you say? Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome back. I know some of you were just with us last night. Um, I assume that the people in this room are the only people who aren't sick and tired of hearing about Liz Cheney or Donald Trump. So welcome. <laughs> I'm about as enthused to keep talking about this as you are to keep talking about it. But uh, I do have thoughts on this, and uh, I was supposed to do this Tuesday, and I was laid out a little bit. And so uh, I was going to do this last night, but of course, uh, Brian Stelter getting handed his walking papers and uh, his his computer engineering language scripting textbook prevented us from doing that. But I still wanted to do this. So again, uh, I apologize for kind of the overexposureness of this all, but uh, welcome. This is episode 35, Unchained, and I want to focus on a couple of things that aren't directly about Liz Cheney or Donald Trump or Liz Cheney versus Donald Trump or Liz Cheney's media versus Donald Trump's media or uh, January 6th or, or that stuff that we've just been getting beaten over the heads with uh, over the past now few weeks leading up to the primary in which she was defeated in which we will continue to hear from her, uh, but hopefully we will never speak of either of them again. There are, however, a couple of interesting things, and I've talked about this briefly on my podcast, but I thought uh, you you could elaborate on this, but you're also free to bring any thoughts. If you just want to vent and get it over with, that's fine too. Uh, there was something interesting that happened. Uh, there, there's two things I want to set up, and this is the reason why I launched early. So uh, you give me 10 minutes to kind of lay this out, and then you guys can opine um, one is the, the absolute surrealness of watching our mainstream corporate media embrace the Cheney family. I, I've never seen anything like this. Not even, you know, there's, there's always the cliche of, you know, the only good Republican is the losing Republican or the Republican who is now out of office. And we see this phenomena of a strange new respect with our media. I have never seen it like this. Uh, in in my voting or adult political lifetime, you, if if you were a youngin who didn't really pay attention to the news, if you were aware of uh, Bush and Cheney throughout the two thousands and through nine eleven, obviously, and uh, two wars and the financial collapse and all of that, if you, if you were just mildly aware of these guys, you really really had to be plugged in and sentient to understand the sheer surrealness of how our media and many of the same figures in our media are now embracing the Cheney family. And that includes her father who even as back as 2012, uh, you had news stories from CBS and NBC basically saying he was worried about becoming a war criminal, being charged with war crimes, international war. And if you have any understanding about uh, you, you could argue that Dick Cheney was treated a smidge worse than George W. Bush by our media. That's up for debate. Some of you might have thoughts on that. Um, to see when Dick Cheney was in the Capitol a few months ago, to uh, of the unveiling of his bust, and to have tweets from reporters saying that there were Democrats going up to him and shaking his hand and complimenting him and saying welcome. Uh, I don't have a huge opinion. On Liz Cheney, I do have as someone who's kind of uh, in media criticism and culture criticism and, and watching this stuff unfold. Um, I've been driven silly 
with pleasure watching this. Uh, not because of my personal opinions of the Cheneys, or but just to watch our media embrace them and to watch certain parties on the political left pull their hair out over it has been immensely gratifying. And to just sit back and watch these people re-embrace the Cheneys has just been, again, it's just been a pleasure overload for me, uh, Bart Simpson gif, you know, dot gif. Um, I really, I really cannot get my head around it in some ways. It's uh, today, John Carl interviewed Liz Cheney and there's been a national embrace of her and especially, and her and, and her father. And I saw a great tweet where someone said, Donald Trump really can make anything possible <laughs> when it comes to his worst critics. Um, we know that this isn't a unique phenomenon. We, of course, you know, if someone is against Donald Trump, then our media is reflexively for that person. We know that's the case because we saw Jake Tapper on CNN platform a literal neo-Nazi in Richard Spencer to badmouth Trump. And I, I guess I look at this and I'm just, I get a little head scratching, but that really does seem to be the only metric that applies for our media. And of course, this reflexive action to oppose anything that he says or does has led to some very embarrassing mistakes on their part. Uh, we, we saw one just this week happen with Nora O'Donnell from CBS over the passport flub. Um, and you'd think that they would have learned their lesson. And I guess we're going to find out if they've learned their lesson here in the next couple of years. So that's one topic uh, that you're free to kind of openly discuss on if you, if you besides either defending her or stringing together four-letter words about her. I don't really care. The other topic of interest for me on this is something happened, and I, and I, I talked about this a little bit on my podcast more today, and, and apologies if you haven't listened to it, spoiler, is in Wyoming... You had Stephen Hayes from now NBC in the Dispatch um, at Cheney's kind of election night party. And I want to pull up his actual, I, I should have pulled this up before I launched the room here, but I want to pull up his exact quote um, about him being at the Cheney's election night, whatever. I wouldn't call it a party, maybe a funeral, I guess. And there was something really interesting to me because uh, you can go to, um, you can go to a political event and write on it as an observer. I've done it both. I did it for Evan McMullen in 2016. Um, I've, I've, I was dispatched to a Trump rally by Spectator, and I did that, and I simply just sat and I watched. I didn't, you know, do whatever. I didn't panic when the crowd booed the fake news media, which I thought was more funny than anything else, to just have, like, 200 people standing on the floor turn around and stare at you and boo you. <laughs> I just thought it was more funny. I didn't, wasn't threatened by any of it or anything. Um, but Steve Hayes went to uh, Liz Cheney's party and uh, noted he spoke in the term of we, like the royal we. And he said, essentially, and I'm looking for the exact quote, but for uh, for now, it was – he basically said that those of us who still believe in constitution and the constitutional republic or whatever, we will prevail in the end. And I thought that was interesting. That's not coming. That's not really surprising coming from Steve Hayes. It's been his position all along, but at the same time in Wyoming, you have Kevin McCarthy, who's probably in line to be house speaker, whether we like it or not. Uh, he was holding a confab at a donor's resort or a house or something and Elon Musk showed up 
and uh, there's photos of him coming in, walking up, and shaking hands. And it was reports that he spoke at this, and he said things that may or may not be popular with the political right. But um, I noted on my podcast that it looks like there's a possible post-Trump coalition forming here. The problem is it's not the one that Steve Hayes or Liz Cheney want. Um, but that leads to other difficult questions for them. And so Elon Musk spoke at this confab, and I guess one of the things he talked about is to just, he said to be more compassionate. And I thought, this is a guy who wasn't around conservative politics in the 90s because, or the 2000s because you're not going to use the term compassionate conservatism again. <laughs> Steve Hayes and Liz Cheney might, you know, and the Bushes might, but that's one that just gets ixed off the list right there. Um, but I suggest that they should just listen to him for an hour and hear what he has to say. And as I noted, I mean, it could be something, it could be nothing. But if Elon Musk is walking through that door, uh, it, there seems to be a kind of willingness to participate in electoral politics in some way similar to how Peter Thiel is doing it with Senate races and Blake Masters and a few others that have pulled out primary victories. J.D. Vance is another one. And we obviously know that, you know, the dispatch crew and Liz Cheney and the Bulwark crew are no fans of those guys either. And so what was interesting to me is Elon Musk says he has no interest in supporting Donald Trump, but he has said he has interest in supporting other options. And the interesting thing is somebody said that there are about two ways that Liz Cheney could stop Donald Trump from running or becoming president. And neither of those are acceptable to the the people that is her main base now and her main audience, which are people of, you know, the dispatch and the bulwark. And you could argue maybe some Democrats, except we all know what would happen to Liz Cheney in a world where she actually secured the GOP nomination. We, very, we know the very next day she would be a warmongering globalist who wants to put us back into Afghanistan. Oh, all the way. Also, she's a homophobe who wouldn't support her gay sister lifestyle. Oh, and she's for overturning Roe v. Wade. Also, she voted with Donald Trump 93% of the time, including voting for him in 2020. And that would be it. And we would get the dignified losing speech again. And that was one of the things that reminded me over these takes and these pontifications over her concession speech was she, you know, she won the way that counts and the dignity. And I just, it took me back to 2008. It took me back to McCain. It took me back to Romney. And just putting it bluntly, I don't think the political right, and we are ever going back to that. And you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it. But I just don't see us going back to the dignified losing uh, thing. And that doesn't mean embracing Donald Trump's election nonsense and conspiratorial election nonsense about not winning. Um, I, I, I just, I don't see us going back to a time when we're going to all be happy getting praised for dignity, you know, losing elections and dignity. Um, back to kind of what I was saying about Musk, it looks that there's a possible coalition forming that could actually stop Donald Trump. That of course includes a candidate who eats at Trump's base. No one's going to beat Trump using, you know, appearances on meet the press. That's not going to happen. Uh, as I've written before, and I think we've talked about, you need a candidate who can kind of be a new shiny object for his base. You have to erode his base power. And you have to erode his influence with those people. And those people have to decide that there's a better option. And maybe they have and maybe they haven't. And we obviously know one of those options out there is the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. And we don't, we don't even know if he's running, okay? But Elon Musk has said he, that's who he would probably support. 
And that's the kind of support and money and name recognition that no candidate had against Trump in 2016. Um, as you know, he, he plowed through the primaries with enormous help from the mainstream media, which I played clips of today on my podcast about Sam Harris. And so you have this coalition that could probably stop him. Well, we heard from Liz Cheney a couple of weeks ago where she said she couldn't support DeSantis because she sees him as just another Trump. And I think that's where she burned even more credibility with people willing to kind of tolerate uh, some of some of her stances and some of her beliefs. Uh, because, it, you know, never Trump, professional never Trump is suddenly very slyly, coyly turning into never something else. And that was always never the agreement. It's one of the ones that uh, some of us who did not vote for Trump, but who are not professionally never Trump, there is a difference. Um, it's one of those it's one of those things that we always saw possibly coming along. And why? Because a lot of that audience that they've cultivated and being never Trump would abandon them should they decide to support another Republican. And we all know that there's always going to be another Hitler. So it's interesting to me that there is this possible coalition forming for a post-Trump path forward that includes some of his messaging, but not a lot of the nonsense. And as we're already seeing, there's always going to be a worse than Trump. And uh, before I kind of kick this out to the callers to see what you guys think, um, it's going to be amazing in six years, uh, seven years, when Ivanka Trump is doing her uh, concession tour to a happy media over uh, Donald Trump's state funeral saying, you know, at least he was honest with us. He He wasn't always nice. But at least he was honest with us and he was 10 times better than what we have now. If they can do that with the Cheney family, trust me, they were willing to be doing it with anyone. <laughs> Those are some set up thoughts. Um, so take that into consideration. Um, feel free to jump into the queue. Like I said, I, I don't screen calls. So bring uh, bring any thoughts that you guys have honest thoughts, whether it's pro Cheney, anti Cheney. I don't care. Just, you know. Uh, a few things I want to ask before I turn it over to callers. Uh, one, just know that there's probably people in line behind you. So just kind of try to keep your thoughts quick. Try to have a point. Try to make it interesting for the room. Uh, the other thing I'd request is that if you are somewhere loud or if you're driving, hopefully not, to mute your microphone um, when you're not speaking. So it just it's not distracting for too many other people. And uh, that should be it. We're gonna, I'm going to go for about a hard hour here until about 7.30 Eastern because it's a Friday night and we all have somewhere to be or someone, or someone to do. And so, But that's kind of going to be the theme of the podcast or the, the episode tonight. So hopefully I've given you stuff, something to work with, to give you something to think about and to something to discuss. We're just going to jump right in here. Uh, Rob, how sick are you of talking about you of Liz Cheney in the media? Oh, I'm I'm pretty much over, uh, Liz Cheney. Um, I, I'm just waiting for all the Harry Potter nerds to start referring to her as Lady Voldemort, uh, she who shall not be named. Um, whenever uh, the Cheneys go back to being on the media's dark side, um, but um, you know, of course, it's been a pretty good week overall to tell me that Liz Cheney and Brian Stelter are heading out the door in the same week uh, is pretty nice. But again, uh, we all know that this is definitely temporary for Brian and possibly temporary for Liz. Um, so I'll, I'll, you know, think it's been a, a fairly decent week. 
Um, but then again, I've learned, uh, you know, that Trump has been a Faustian bargain from day one. And, uh, you know, having been uh, through all the mess he put, you know, he puts Georgia through, including wanting to uh, endorse Stacey Abrams, um, which, dear Lord, I don't know how that, that mess could work because that's, uh, oh, let's get the media to have him, uh, you know, make Stacey try to look good. But at the same time, the last time he meddled with Georgia, we all see how much fun that was. Um, but uh, Well, there might be another lesson in that. We're seeing it possibly in Pennsylvania and Georgia with Herschel Walker and Mehmet Oz, who, I mean, they, those two guys, and they, and they might win. I, I, I just, I don't weigh in on a lot of that. I just watch it unfold, and I watch to see what voters are doing in those states. Uh, but from the start, I mean, her, those are both 100% Trump guys. Those are not candidates that ran and fought for an endorsement. Those are hand-picked candidates from Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the one that told Herschel Walker, you should run because you're a famous football star. And he's the one who told Madam Oz to run because his wife liked him and he was a famous doctor. And both of those guys look like they could walk right off the set of a celebrity apprentice. And I guess I look at it and say, maybe you guys will learn your lesson now when those two lose, if they lose. It's certainly polling suggests they might be on their way to doing so. That could change. Um, it's a long time. But I, I mean, I also think either of them could probably win. But if they both lose and two Senate seats go out, plus the two Georgia seats, that to me could be a sign that people are like, we're we're over this. We're done with this. So it's not even the last Georgia election, which, yeah, is pretty much on him for telling voters to stay home. Um, Kemp looks like he's going to murder Stacey Abrams this time around. Uh, hands up, don't shoot. Um, it looks like she's on her way out the door. Thank you to that mask photo, which is probably the single biggest flub I've seen that's going to cost a race in recent history. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but just an interesting, just an interesting thought about Walker and Oz and how those two are even in the race. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of the folks who, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't ever answer polling calls. I'm kind of, I kind of use uh, pollsters, the same way we all do journalists, never, ever, ever talk to them. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, having been a, uh, from a big University of Georgia family, um, you know, there's no doubt that obviously we'll be uh, doing our best to, to block for Herschel and get him across the, uh, the goal line, um, however ugly it might be. But... Um, yeah, I'm I'm done with the Trump celebrity apprentice stuff. I'd love to see Herschel get in there, but um, I know that uh, I just I just hope he'll just be quiet. But dear Lord, uh, you know he uh, is definitely not meant for politics. But uh, my very first baby photo had me wearing a little number thirty four Herschel Walker uh, jersey. So I guess. Uh, I guess my, my vote for him is something that, uh, you know, uh, I uh, was uh, was destined for. Um, he is def definitely, uh, you know, uh, almost like a religious figure in my household. Yeah. yeah. So he's, you're, so he's, you're, it's, it's like the, it's Al, like the Al, so so like if Al Bundy was running here, right? So you'd have to vote for him even if he was just whatever. Here, here's a question, it, it, and, and this might be one other people might want to answer. 
Um, if people are begrudgingly willing to vote for someone like Herschel Walker, if people are begrudgingly willing to vote for, you know, Donald Trump or to drag a candidate, would you be begrudgingly willing to vote for Liz Cheney should she secure the GOP nomination, which she's not going to happen, but it's a pure hypothetical. Would you begrudgingly vote for Liz Cheney if she was up, say, against Kamala Harris? Um, against the two of them? Oh, dear God. Uh, that's a... You know, much like my my previous response to uh, you know, uh, if someone gave me a, you know put a gun to my head and said uh, Hillary versus Trump and I'd vote for the bullet, um, I would probably uh, say uh, between Liz Cheney and Kamala, uh, I'd I'd vote for a game of Russian roulette. Uh, so that's probably uh, the way I'd look at it right now uh, for sure, but. On a lighter note, just to get to the next caller, uh, what is your favorite song from your uh, from Colorado? Uh, my pick for Georgia is going to be Honeysuckle Blue by Driving and Crying. Uh, thanks, Stephen. I'll let you get to Joseph. Like, 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 my, like my, my favorite Colorado-themed song? Or I mean, there's I mean, there's a I mean, there's Commerce City Sister by Devotica. Devotica is like a, a, a local band. Um, Things to do in Denver when you're dead. Warren Zevon is one that comes right to mind. Um, God, I don't want to say John Denver, but John Denver, of course, is you know John Denver is one of those where when you're a kid, it's just your dad's weird folk singer, and then when you grow up, you're like, yeah. This dude, this dude, this dude can ball. There's uh, you wild Colorado. Johnny Cash is one of those. Um, I don't know. Those are just the ones that I can kind of, I mean, Colorado Girl by Towns Van Zant is probably one of my ones that's up there. So, or, I mean, those are probably the only ones kind of off the top of my head that, that come to memory. I'm sure I'm probably missing some really cool post-punk song about whatever, but those would probably be the top, the top ones that I can name off my head. I'll just say, uh, that, uh, John Denver got, uh, way more uh uh i definitely look at him way more positively after you uh mentioned uh his uh role in opposing tipper gore censorship (laughs) yes but i mean one of the one of the i mean little known not so much little known but for the younger ones who just think it was prince or uh d snyder whatever yeah john denver gave an incredible statement for that and as i've said anyone who wants to know where my young philosophy was formed. It started pretty much with Tipper Gore. Someone who's listening texted me, Jimmy World's Lucky Denver Mint. I'm like, okay, that's that's one I was forgetting. So, um, yeah, th- those are ones off the top of my head, Rob. So thanks for, thanks for joining in, Rob, and thanks for giving us kind of a touch on uh, what's happening down there in Georgia. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, Joseph. Give me your venting about Liz Cheney. Um, I have nothing else honestly to say about her. Once she lost her primary, I was like, "Yeah, I figured that was going to happen." So I was just like, "Oh, oh well, goodbye." Joseph, were you aware of the Cheney and how the Cheneys were treated, kind of in the mid to late two thousands? And if you were, is this anything, or how, were you even were you, were you a youngin then still? Uh, during the Bush presidency, I was a like well, I was pretty much a small child, and I was like. Given my age, I was like close to eight years old when Obama won the election in Jeez. 2008. So, God, you're, yeah, you're I, don't, I don't have any memory of like you know the Bush and this 
with the Bush and Dick Cheney stuff. It wasn't until like, I got like um, active politically in like my teen years, and then even once I started getting like more politically active, like when I was like twenty years old, where it was kind of like you did kind of get the sense of like how Bush was viewed as a warmonger, along with you know Dick Cheney and how they viewed him as like war criminals, and you still see a couple like you know older liberals. Um, huge socialists prefer to them as like war criminals. But what's what's funny is that I saw one progressive. Um, his name is David Pakman. He has a YouTube channel as well, and he said the worst thing to happen, the uh, worst thing happening in two thousand three was Dick Cheney being the vice president of the United States. In twenty twenty two, the worst thing that happened to the country was Liz Cheney being primaried out of Wisconsin. <laughs> Um, what do you think Liz Cheney does now, Joseph? Does she go to cable news? Does she run for president? What do you think? Uh, I think she'll probably try the the president uh, the presidential candidacy out first, and then if that doesn't work, then she probably will go somewhere to say like maybe MSNBC. So like around twenty twenty five. Yeah, because I don't. <laughs> I don't know, because I, I could see a possibility of her just doing that, well, making a presidential run. She's not going to go far, but I don't see her jumping full head on as an NBC contributor. So, like, maybe it's like Meet the Press or something like yeah. that first. Yeah, I could see that. I've had people like that. I, I predict that most likely she would join Meet the Press because of her family's reverence for that show and Tim Russert and... Uh, her dad went on that show a lot, and I, I basically compared if she did – if she thinks that, that that's the way to reach Trump voters, to peel them off, to make sure he doesn't sniff the Oval Office again, I think I said that that has an air of OJ looking for the real killer on the golf course to it. It's just it, – it, that's not going to happen. And like I said, you have to be willing to speak to his voting base without disdain, and she clearly cannot do that because she just had her opportunity and she lost. So – Joseph, give me a final thought. Um, I'll, I'll make one quick final thought. Is that like it's not just like sort of opposing Trump for her now. It's just that I remember seeing a tweet from her a tweet from her a while ago saying that like we also must oppose like Ron DeSantis too because like Ron DeSantis has some Trump tendencies. And I was like, well, there you go. You deserve to fucking lose. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I don't know what Trump tendencies mean. Does that mean he he moves his hands like him? Does it does it mean his policies? Okay, what policies are you opposed to? Um, I don't see a lot of similar policy tendencies in Trump. Maybe immigration, but I don't know that that that's, immigration seems to be a pretty steadfast conservative Republican policy. That's not a Trump policy. I mean, shouting build the wall every five minutes was probably Trump. Um, and, and there's certainly more things that need to be done on that. But I, I've i never gotten past anyone who said that he has Trump tendencies beyond, well, he, he moves his hand like he does. And I'm kind of like, well, okay, that's not, that's not a tendency. You know, you need to tell me what about him? Uh, he, he wants to use the government to stage a coup, or, or something. I'm kind of like, well, no, that's he's not staging a coup. Like what? You know, we just even had David from this week at the Atlantic say that, you know, DeSantis would not be as bad as Trump because at least DeSantis would go away if he lost. And you know, so I, I don't even know what that means. So 
I mean, we're going to hear more about that. And if you hear about that from people, you just ask them the question. And it's not even a pro-DeSantis to bring that up. It's just you ask, what tendencies does he have? What are you talking about? So anyway, Joseph, good to hear from you as always. So thanks for calling in. All right. Thank you, Captain. Cheers. Take care. Moving right through. Bruce. Yes. Hi, Stephen. Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. So are you are you sick to death of hearing about Liz Cheney and Donald Trump yet? Um, well, yeah, I've been sick of it since January 6th, but you know, <laughs> what else is new? Um, I, I, a lot of, lot of takes out there and yeah, you know, like you said, oh, she lost gracefully. She, she, uh, you know, won with dignity or, you know, won the dignity battle or whatever that, that doesn't matter in politics at all, uh, under any circumstances. And, and I don't understand why there's been such an emphasis on that, um, I think John Gabriel said that uh, no democracy is intact because the primary voters chose someone else, and uh, you know that's that's really the story, right? Win elections. We we harp on that you know quite a bit in this in this class, uh, as you say. Um, so, yeah, I I, I mean I, I think she and and Adam Kinzinger uh, sort of you know when they went all in on this January 6th committee sort of signed their death warrants for a future in GOP politics. And that's, you know, that's their choice. They can do that, but, uh, you know, effectively they're going to, they're going to reap the, the, the penalties or the rewards uh, for doing that. Um, Sorry, real fast. I think that, I mean, this idea that you, that it's just anti-Trump is, why they lost. There's obviously a couple of examples that counter that. One is Kemp in Georgia, who, again, as our first first person brought up, I think as Rob brought up, is that Trump's done everything but pretty much endorsed Stacey Abrams to get rid of Kemp because Kemp basically certified the Georgia election, as he should have. Right. And so there are examples. Um, and I would argue, even the January 6th thing, if I think if there was a measured way of going about examining how everything happened that day. And I, that goes from Trump's behavior to uh, the, the behavior from the National Guard and from Miro Bowser not not allowing the National Guard to Nancy Pelosi's role in all of this. And admittedly, some of this I don't know. I'm not being conspiratorial to why the Capitol wasn't protected more, to why there wasn't more security on the mall, to, uh, to all of it, to all of it. And just ex- break it all down and put it into like a 9-11 style commission book, which everyone can go buy at their local Amazon store, whatever. Um, but Liz Cheney has explicitly said that that her intent for this is to keep Donald Trump away from the White House. And that could come with a criminal referral um, over, you know, the worst charges of, you know, seditious conspiracy or something like that, um, which really hasn't been proven. Everything that Trump's people have done, they tried to look, I mean, obnoxiously tried to do it through the legal system and were rebuffed pretty much at every single point. Um, And so I look at this and I go, you've, because of her statement saying that this is, you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure he's, he doesn't become president again. And she's saying this while she's a co-chair on this committee that is supposed to get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th. Um, you, you've automatically politicized this committee. And by doing that, you, you almost completely invalidate it. And, uh, you know, for those of you who think that I'm excusing it, I think I was the first you know, fund it on the right out of the gate on January 6th to say Trump should be impeached over what happened. 
So I kind of look at that and say she should have been more measured maybe in her words with that. And just if you if your ultimate goal is to keep Donald Trump away from the White House, that's fine. But when you come out and Leroy Jenkins it, a lot of people who aren't Alex Jones look at this and they go, this this looks kind of like a show trial now that you've said this. You've given your intent away. And it doesn't appear like your intent is getting to the bottom of how all of these events came to be. And whether they involve Trump or Pelosi or Mike Pence or the uh, the Proud Boys or, or any of it, you've specific you've already said that you have no interest in investigating certain aspects of it. Right. And I think I think that that's what turned off even a lot of moderates where it was just like you're using your congressional position and your congressional authority to try and keep someone away from running a presidential campaign. And how is that any different than what people in our media did or what people who you, you can use the words deep state or the intelligence apparatus, people like Peter Strzok said they were going to do. And I think even moderate principled voters look at that and say that's a bridge too far. Which uh, which squad member was it that upon their election said we're going to impeach this? That was uh, Tlaib. Uh, to leave, I mean that's it's largely indistinguishable from from that stunt that like we're, we're, you know I'm gonna I'm coming in here we don't we don't have any charges yet we don't have anything but we're gonna just do it right and and the the ends is is what they're after not the process not validating anything else yeah so, I don't so much have I don't have really. Uh, I don't even so much have a problem with Tlaib saying that because we know that that's what they were going to do. Trump was always going to be impeached heading into the election. And that, of course, backfired for a few reasons. One, right. you lowered you lowered the threshold for impeachment now to where the point to where Joe Biden's probably looking at it next year. And two, um, I mean, you, you're using your congressional authority, whether whether you have a reason to or not is completely beside the point. If you're if you're elected to the House, you can introduce articles of impeachment and OK, have fun with that. But when, you know, if Tlaib to me comes out and says, we're going to impeach the motherfucker because I don't want him to be president anymore. Well, you're going to you're going to obviously not make the case for impeachment. Similar to Liz Cheney saying, well, I'm doing everything in my power to keep him from being in the Oval Office again. And even if that includes using, you know, co-chairing a congressional committee and subpoenaing private citizens to come up and speak like you're using subpoena power to purposely keep someone from running for president. I don't like that. And, you know, I think where I kind of started to sour on the January 6th committee was not from testimony from officers, not from any of that stuff. That stuff I thought was all fine. But then they threatened to subpoena Kimberly Gorfoyle. And I was I was talking to someone who's constitutional scholar lawyer on this. And I said, does this sit right with you? I don't like her. This isn't about her. Okay, if you want to subpoena members of the Trump cabinet, fine. If you want to subpoena Mike Pompeo, fine. Um, I mean, you can talk about the politicized nature of the subpoena. Let them argue that out, whatever. If you're a public official, fine. Kimberly Goldfield is a private citizen. Okay, she's a girlfriend of the son of the president. All right. So unless you have a smoking gun, it's sort of like Ginny Thomas. I'm sort of in that same boat where Ginny Thomas is a private citizen here. And it looks like intimidation. It looks like harassment when you're like you're using subpoena power to go after a former Fox News babe. Like, what are you doing? Like, right. that's where I really. And so and I talked to this person and I'm not going to tell you who it is, but they're pretty fairly well respected. And they mostly agreed with me that it doesn't look good. 
I mean, if you want to subpoena again, Trump's legal team and see how that goes. Okay. That's in your purview, but like you're going after the president's son's girlfriend for like what, because she might've said something like, what are you doing? And that to me looks like you're just basically trying to get as many people either in front of a jury to, you know, and sort of like Steve Bannon, and that to me, it's kind of like, this is overstepping your purview. It, it just, it is to me, it doesn't sit right when you start subpoenaing public citizens like that, just simply because they were there that day. So that's just kind of where I, and, and I'm not totally soured on it. I'm still okay with it. And I think there's still things we need to know, but Liz Cheney herself has said, we're not interested in learning about the police response. Sorry. And it's kind of like, well, then you're clearly not interested in finding out everything that happened that day. Right. Okay. I'd like to move on talk about a couple other things real quick. Um, Ron DeSantis is, uh, been at the center of this court ruling where they basically have blocked his anti-woke law. Uh, David French has tweeted, I think 4,000 times about it over the last two days. And it, it harkens back to, uh, you remember the Glenn Kessler, uh, hit piece 23 and me with Tim Scott. Yeah. And then, you know, he, he bounced it like, I don't know, five times that day. And then Jonah Goldberg defended him saying, Oh, I'm sure he meant well, and you know, so on and so forth and all that. And, uh, and then of course, uh, you know, Stephen Hayes kind of getting behind, well, we, you know, we should unify on Cheney and whatever my, my, where I'm going with all this is if, if the uh, the the dispatch bulwark people whatever can't f- agree on anyone uh, on the Republican side that would be you know a possibility in 2024, then all of their actions, all of their articles, all their writing, all their interviews, and all that really are just completely indistinguishable from being Democratic operatives, which I, I think we've all agreed that that's what they are. But I. It, it's it's like you they have no one that that would be acceptable to them and and how, how are they how are they conservative how are they the true conservatives if they won't get behind somebody who could actually win in 2024 i i think i think you're getting to the heart of the main objection with a lot of people who can follow some of those people down that road and then who they pull back and it's like well wait hold on here and this is the problem, again, that Liz Cheney ran into, said, I'm going to do everything in my power to stop Trump from seeking or from being president again. And right now, it looks like there's one pretty good option to do that. And then she said, well, no, not that. Well, wait, right. no, hold on. You're undermining your entire case. And so so is Hayes. And, you know, and I, 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 I've been paying scant attention to this thing in Florida, the anti-woke stuff. I just haven't had my eyeballs on it much. Um but again, if, if Trump is the unique, imminent threat to the republic that you say he is, that needs to be stopped at all costs, and this is your only option, and you go, no, not that, well, then you're, bo- then you're full of shit, and, and, it's, and it's, you're not anti-Trump. Then you're just anti-whatever, and that doesn't work, especially when you're you know, trafficking in hyperbole about what a grave threat Trump is. And so, again, they, they're going to have to make that decision. And you're seeing some of them dance on the fence about it. You're seeing some of them who clearly are, are already uh, who are all clearly already uh, anti-DeSantis. And that includes people like Tim Miller, Charlie Sykes, where they're just, you know, it's going to be anti-DeSantism or uh, whatever. And forget him as the guy, because, again, we don't know if he's running or not. So 
people getting ahead of their skis should probably pump the brakes a little bit. Um, but then again, what happens if Tim Scott gets a bunch of weight behind him? Are you then never Tim Scott? And then in which case it simply becomes you're a Democrat and you need to and you need to own that. And that's been the problem with some, not all of those people is they just they look at it and say, um, as a conservative, we need to burn the Republican Party to the ground and start over. Well, you're, if you burn the party to the ground, you're not going to be invited to rebuild the house. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with, you know, the MAGA world people going the way of the dodo as much as I'm fine with the people who helped bring those people into the fold going the way of the dodo. But there is this kind of delusion, mass delusion happening over there where we're giving you the option. There is a gravity, there is a gravitational pull of giving the option of not voting for Donald Trump again. And when you stand up and go, we're not okay with that. We're just going to go, fuck you then. Like we're moving on without you. And you can go write your columns about how he's just like Trump and he's Trumpism and he's, he's worse than Trump, which we know is going to happen. Um, and, and we're going to move on without you. And that's it. So like I said, they really, I think Cheney really, really undermined her own case when she simply said, I can't do that. She could have said, I, I want, I'd like to see more from him. There's some things he said I don't like. There's some that I think he's probably good on. I think he looks like he's been good for his state. Um, I, I think what's really interesting is there is kind of a parallel between how Florida went from Jeb Bush to now Ron DeSantis. And how did voters in that time frame shift, right? And they did, I know that they didn't go straight back to back, but how did, how did voters shift? find Jeb Bush acceptable 20 years ago to now DeSantis. And why won't the fucking Bush people answer that question? Um, another one that was interesting that was raised today by a, a commenter on my podcast is Liz Cheney voted for Trump in 2020. How does she get a pass for that? And I know a lot of people will say because of her work on January 6th, but it's interesting that almost nobody from the bulwark to NBC to whomever is going to offer her a job seem to say to her, why did you vote for him in 2020 then? If you, if you thought he was maybe this problem with the, if he's an eminent unique threat that can never sniff the oval office again, didn't you vote for him twice? And I don't have a lot of interest in a gotcha there. I'm just curious to hear what she would say. And so, yeah, I mean, she really did a lot of damage to her own cause by saying, you know, tr Trump is a WMD, <laughs> which is what they're saying. We need to invade. We need to do Do We have to do it at all costs to stop Trump from acquiring WMDs or whatever. And we say to them, here's an option right here. This You might not like the guy, but he's going to be the guy to, to keep Donald Trump out of the office. And then you can go and have policy arguments. And they just go, no, we don't like that option. Well, then we're done with you completely probably then. Like we're not interested because then you then you don't believe that Donald Trump is the unique threat you say he is. Right. All right. Um, I have my final thought and we can move on to other callers. Sure, go ahead. Uh, you, asked, you asked a question from time to time, was, was Trump worth the three Supreme Court justices? And I emphatically say absolutely. So if if – Let's say let's say he cost you the Georgia the Georgia Senate, which was allowed to. And I'm just I'm giving you the hypothetical of someone. So or not even a hypothetical. So uh, sure you got three Supreme Court judges, but now then Trump went on to his election nearing nonsense, right? Which cost you the the U.S. Senate in Georgia. Probably most likely, it, all you needed in that race was a split. 
right? Yep. You lost two Senate seats in Georgia, which now just enabled Joe Biden to uh, get his Supreme Court pick that he wanted, as well as now the uh, inflation, let's not call it the Inflation Reduction Act. So that was able to pass, along with the the uh, the stimulus spending bill that has ramped up inflation. So that was largely because of Trump's antics in Georgia. Now you also have, as we would just open this call in, Trump uh, could end up costing the, the Pennsylvania Senate seat and a Georgia Senate seat, not flipping, and who knows, maybe Arizona or something else, and they keep the Senate. So is that still all worth it? And let's say he runs in 2024, won't shut up about losing in 2020, and it was all stolen, and the country just says, fuck it, we're going with the, uh, we're going with the lady who doesn't make sense whenever she talks, because at least we'll have our first black female president. Do you still think it's all worth it? Uh, yes. Uh, okay. Yes, I do. Uh, and I, and the only, the only way that I would change my mind is if for some reason the Republicans absolutely screwed up nationwide and lost the house that they do not retake the house, uh, this yeah, November. That, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. I think they're going to still take the house. Yeah, I, um, I think they will too. Um, but, but if, if they maintain the hold in the Senate and keep the, the, um, the house, that will be a, a another bad two years. That we we this too shall pass. The you know it, Donald Trump, even if he runs in twenty twenty four, he'll be too old. He won't win, or at least I don't think he'll win. Um, I, I think there will just be there will just be too much going on. There will be third party. There will be this. There will be that. Uh, he will eventually age out, and 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 he what, he won't. What, hap- what happens? What happens in this? And I'm just I'm just trying to find your threshold. I'm trying to find your no no. It wasn't worth it. Bar. What happens if? DeSantis runs in the primaries, beats him. Trump says it's all rigged, stolen primaries like he did with Ted Cruz in 2016. And what happens if he goes third party, tanks the election and gives it to Kamala Harris? What happens then? Is it still worth the three justices? Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let's say Trump has devil. No, I'm joking. (laughs) These are curious questions I ask people from time to time. So um, I'm, I'm of, I don't know. People have asked me personally and, I'm still up in the I, I air about Trump it. I think, winning in, I, I I think Trump winning in 2016 think, was a was a 30 year uh, pause in the progressive agenda. A, a, a 25 yeah. minimum, I would say, a 30 year pause. And so yeah, all and this got, crap and you is got, going out. And you got Roe and you got Roe overturned, which Liz Cheney herself praised. And that to me, that's a good question for like the pro life contingent of you know Republican punditry. I mean, we saw Bill Kristol wrote you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, that Roe must go. And I'm even talking about conservative pundits who don't like Trump now. And you say, you just got Roe overturned. So was it worth it then? And that to me is another one that I'd be interested to hear people more invested in that than I am. I mean, the, the Supreme Court went like six for six on decisions that I cared about this term. I, I, yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was, a, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's all I have to say. So yeah, it's going to, it's, that's a question that's just going to be, and that's one I'm fine debating about with people. I mean, that's one that's going to be asked for for years. I mean, years, decades was, you know, yeah, yeah, he he caused us all to lose a lot of fucking sleep over those three, four years. But, you know, we got they got Roe overturned. Plus, you stopped, you know, extreme climatism, green, green, and that's just it's going to be one of those that's up for debate. So. All right. Thanks for your time, Stephen. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, I like to see new people. So it's good to hear from Bruce. 
Pierce, I have a feeling I know what this is going to be about, but let's not make it all about tears. Give me your give me your way in about Liz Cheney, Trump. Uh, do you see a new coalition going forward? Would you vote for that coalition? What's going on? Uh, no, uh, I actually work very hard not to like follow mainstream media, national news feeds. I've curated my 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 Twitter timeline as thus. But I, I do think that uh, Liz Cheney is kind of of little consequence. I think the media treats her like one of the good conservatives. And I'm kind of just waiting for the time when she gets treated like uh, Mr. Lincoln Project Confederate Cooler. And she gets kind of torn apart by cartoons or by someone. Or maybe the media uh, gets over their selective amnesia and start introducing her as the bigoted daughter of war criminal Dick Cheney. <laughs> Oh, I, I would almost love to see her get the nomination just to watch that spin happen again. Because we saw it with Trump. Trump was hosting Saturday Night Live and was all over the thing. And like literally the week after he got the nomination, Saturday Night Live did a skit about how all of his followers are Nazis. And I, I mean, I would almost like to see her in, a, you know, if I could just be even more nihilistic I, in a world, I'd love to see her get the nomination just to watch them flip on her like that again. And just maybe then you guys will fucking learn that not to embrace these people, that they fucking hate you. They hate everything you stand for. And there will always be somebody else worse than that guy. Right. Right. And that's all that that will become down the road. And it's just ridiculous. Uh, unfortunately, that's all I have to say. I have four tiers to go through. If you want to hear those real quick, I'll give you two, two, save, and then me. save the next two for Colin, maybe Monday. That's fine. All right. We'll trickle it out. All right. Uh, the next two I had, no, uh, this proof, uh, okay, this tier is the proof of life tier. Uh, we know that you are currently curating a, a small farm of mutants, and, you know, there's probably some fans out there that want to see them. Uh, I think the GK Chesterton cat is pretty cool looking, so yeah. that might be a tier to throw out there. I don't know if you want to, like, how much? There. How much am I charging for pictures of my animals? That's a good question, and that you know, leave it all up to you. I don't know if you need to, if they're unionized or not, or whether it's seen as some kind of traffic. No, my 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 Persian cat has not accepted the election results from my from my Frenchies yet, though. So he's he's constantly trying to stage the coup. Um, now, the funny thing about this is. Uh, is I, I do get requests to see to see my I have two so for those of you who aren't aware I have two French bulldogs and one Persian cat they all get along great, um, but there's demand from time to time to show pics of them and what's funny is once in a while I'll put them on Twitter and the one time I did like the best photo of my girl Frenchies everyone sh like fucking photoshopped a MAGA hat on her and I was like <laughs> all right I've I've had enough of this nonsense um, so I don't know I don't know so do I need to like do like do it like an Instagram feed where people subscribe like $10 a month. And then they, I get like a chalkboard to put around their head and, you know, thanks for the subscription, you know, Pierce or something like what, what are we talking about content wise here? Uh, I, I would just say just pictures of, of them uh, in, in, in their wild habitat, whatever they're doing, whether it's, or even like even troll they're, pictures of like, oh, yeah, here's my dog. And then it's like just the tail. Pierce, they're Frenchies. They're just laying on the fucking floor snoring right now. They don't do much. And also it's That's hot. That's where the money is. I know. They you just and, and it's hot and so they don't go out. Like they literally, when it's like 90 degrees, they go outside, they pee, and they come back in. They can't even be out in the heat for five minutes. They're, French Bulldogs are just an abomination of nature. They, they weren't even on the ark. Like they were created right. by humans and therefore they are humanly flawed. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I can start putting pictures of them just laying around. I will say this. They do have Instagram accounts. 
not like, you know, like people have like Instagram accounts where they, you know, they promote their pets and they do that. And I, and I don't do that. I just, it's, it's like for a record. It's like something that I have for, for me. Um, they do have Instagram accounts and they are out there. So if you find them, feel free to follow them, but I'm not going to link you to them. I see. Okay. And then uh, one more tier and then I'll stop wasting one's time here. Sure. This one's called the, the hate watch tier. So we've talked about like there's, we briefly talked about how there's like certain media out there, like the newsroom or like West Wing or Veep, and how these are all shows that either glorify the left or glorify reporters and journalism. And we all know it's it's pretty it's pretty cringeworthy. So I don't know how much money this would cost. I'm sure it's a pretty penny because you have to sit down and torture yourself watching this content, but then record yourself like riff track style. But you're not throwing in voices, you're kind of just like talking about how terrible a certain thing is. And so I would just throw that out there. Uh, geez, so you want me to do like a hate watch tier? Is that something the subbers would do as well? Like we would sit down and binge watch the newsroom and do like a Zoom on it or something? That could work. Yeah. Oh. I was just saying just like a one-off audio track. That's or, rough. Or like you so have... commentary. I don't know if you could get me to do that. I don't think that there's enough I mean, I, I do I do pretty good with my podcast. Like, I'm not I'm not rolling in like Ben Shapiro money, but I do okay with what the basic stuff is. That would probably make me want to stick my head in the oven if if yeah. if I had to sit there and go to the West early early episodes of the West Wing. I don't mind so much because I think you know the writing is good. Um, but like the fucking newsroom or, or what was the other one? Veep. I'm, I hated Veep so much. Um, to get me to watch those and comment on them, man, life's too short and I'm, I'm starting to get up there. So I, I think I would, I would much rather not have that tier so I don't have to boil my skull. <laughs> Right, right, right. And I'm sure everyone wants to keep their livers in healthy condition. Yeah, we're probably we're not trying. Going to well, but. We're trying. So, Pierce, you're still batting 500. So bring me, okay. bring me, bring me the last two on the next call, and we'll see. We'll do. Thanks, Stephen. All right, man. Take care. Ben, Ben's up. Same question. Uh, are you here to vent or to offend Liz Cheney or the the media's embrace of her? What do you think of that? If you've had a history. Uh, I just think it's uh, a bit odd. Uh, well, not odd, but how people are saying she she won with dignity. Um, I don't think or lost lost she with won dignity, with, mind you. Lost with dignity. So uh, alternate universe. Lost with dignity. Um, I just feel that she never intended to win that primary. She never tried to win the primary because she never tried to convince the the voters to vote for her. To vote for her position that Donald Trump is, you know, a unique threat to democracy. Blah blah blah. Um, and that's kind of where she's in sync with the dispatch, the bulwark, et cetera, et cetera, in that it's not about trying to convince the base or this new group of kind of, you know, white collar workers. Yeah. What, how do you want to describe media. it? It's for friendly media. Yeah. It's not about trying to get them to actually vote for you or convince them that Donald Trump is a unique threat. It's she, about saying. She, yeah. She didn't really, she didn't even really campaign. Like, I think that that's another thing people notice. It wasn't like she was trying. And she, she, in all of her ads, like, she brought her dad in. And I thought that that was really weird. And I, I looked at this and said, I didn't so much have an opinion on it other than it feels outdated. And then she's, she's being photographed on election day around with her dad. She's dragging her dad everywhere. And the other thing I, I didn't, I should have addressed in my intro is that's why I think a lot of this has nothing to do 
with democracy. It has nothing to do with protecting the republic. It has nothing to do with January 6th. I think it's just flat-out fucking personal. I think Liz Cheney took what Trump said about her dad and, you know, Iraq and how her dad blew all that. And the fact that Dick Cheney's been in service for 30 years since the fucking Nixon administration and he's a lifelong professional servant. And how dare this orange oaf just strut in here and win the presidency and talk like that? I think that that's about 75 percent of it. And the reason I think that is because of the way she drags her dad around everywhere. She wants to show that this is like a united front against not just me. It's not just an affront towards me. It's an affront toward my dad and everything my dad stands for. And I thought if she did less of that, she might have a more convincing case. But this is another thing I haven't seen anyone talk about. And maybe I'm just way off. But that that's what it felt like to me. It just felt like sort of like the McCain's, that this was just fucking personal because Trump makes things personal. And that's what part of the people like about it. I mean, he made fun of Rand Paul's fucking hair, you know, <laughs> like he made fun of Rubio's ears and Jeb Bush's thing and what and. That's just who the guy is. And I think that they looked at that and they took it personally. And once they insulted the family and, and Iraq war and her father, they just looked and said, who the fuck do you think you are? You've never served as president. You've never had to, you know, overlook the torture program <clears throat> or you've never had to do these things. And she didn't even campaign in Wyoming. And the fact that, uh, and, I, and I didn't mean to interrupt you over this, but I just, I like to catch thoughts. And, the fact that she was running her ads against Donald Trump and not Hackman, and I think voters looked at that and said, you're not running against Donald Trump here. You know, you're running against a primary opponent whom you won't even address. You won't even show up and campaign for. And that's how, I mean, that's how Joe Crowley lost to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And I'm not saying those races are similar, but people vote on who shows up. And if you don't fucking show up, they're not going to vote for you. And we learned that in 2016 when Hillary Clinton wouldn't show up to Wisconsin. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, Ben. Go ahead. No, I mean, that, that's pretty much my point. It's, it's like me standing in the middle of a football field or a baseball field or whatever, screaming as my team is trying to play a game, you know, screaming at the crowd because they're a bunch of hack, you know, hack rubes and I don't like them and I'm calling a former coach you know, a threat to the team. Um, of course, everyone's going to go, what the fuck are you doing? You're not... You're not playing the sport. Yeah, that's a, the sports analogy. The, the sports analogy doesn't get used enough, and ultimately, it is Republicans versus Democrats. And unfortunately, it's not just for a fucking Super Bowl. It's on issues of things like life. It's on issues of your constitutional right to carry a gun. It's on issues of things that affect your everyday life. And I've, I haven't so much used it with Cheney, but you're, the ex-coach is a good way. Like, you're just bitch. You're in the locker room, and you're bitching about how bad the last coach sucked. In the meantime, the rest of your team is looking at you like, dude, we got a game to play over here. What are you doing? I, I use that analogy more with Kinzinger, because Kinzinger's the one shitposting on Twitter all the time. I, I will give that to Cheney. At least for the most part, Cheney's just off of social media. I mean, she pops her head in once in a while. But Kinzinger's just coming off like a bored suburban house dad right now. Just shit posting every other fucking day about whatever. And to me, Kinzinger fits that profile more, which is, you know, let's say you just had a bad game or someone on your team said something stupid and you're in the locker room and all the reporters have the microphone in your face and you go, what do you think about that? And he's just like, oh, that guy's just, that guy's a fucking threat to the team. He's just, and da, da, da. And you, and you said your piece. But if you're just constantly doing it while also not playing, like you said, not playing your position, you're going to get kicked off the fucking team. 
<laughs> it's that simple. And so I like that you brought up the sports analogy because I just don't think it gets used enough. And regardless of whether or not you hate or like it, it is a team sport, okay? And, yeah, we'll take shit-talking on our team. We'll take criticism of the team. But eventually, if you walk into the dugout wearing, wearing another team's jersey, people are going to kind of look at you and go, what, what are you doing, man? Yeah. Um, and I, I think I'd go one further than to say it's personal. I think it's, it's almost deeper than that. And this is how it links back to the bulwark and the dispatch crowd. It's about not – it's almost about wanting to go back to – and you've said it in the past, going back to, like, the Bush GOP – and just not accepting the fact that there is a new group of people that are now GOP voters and you don't, you don't like them, uh, you don't like Trump, God knows I don't like Trump, but that you just want to ignore the fact that the GOP is changing because you no longer have control. And I think that's definitely a large part of it uh, because it's all these, all these people from the Bush administration or linked to the Bush administration before and they just can't accept that the GOP is moving on and they're not trying to fight the fight within the new construct of the GOP, which is what DeSantis is doing, which is, I think, why they hate DeSantis. That's just my final thought. Yeah, I, I think you're right about a lot of that. I think it is personal, and I, I know it's personal. I know for a fact it's personal for some of them, and not because so much it's Trump, but because of the way some of Trump's people acted online towards some of them and in comments and things like that. Um, and I guess I look at it and I'm, I'm like, it's, you know, should you take it personally? I mean, when Trump like insults you, I, I wouldn't, I'd fucking kind of laugh at it or something. I mean, I was when, when against Trump came out at national review, I didn't really have a heads up to that. I wasn't in the top of the totem pole. So it was kind of sprung on us lobies. And I just laughed when I saw it and I was like, all right, let's go and crack your knuckles. And because I'm, you know, sort of terminally online, I took probably the most amount of shit other than people like David French or whatever from just kind of like that 4chan peppy army. And because I just I kind of was groomed on coming up with the Internet, coming up with 4chan, coming up with Reddit, I just kind of took it with more humor, I think. And I, I tried to kind of pass that on to some of National Review and just like, guys, this is just what it is now. Like, we've never seen anything like this. So I'm like, yeah, this is this is what the Internet is. Welcome, you know. Um, and so I kind of took a lot of it with a grain of salt. And they tried to dox me and they tried to find my social media pages. Whenever, and they tried to hack my Facebook. And I was just kind of like maybe more prepared for it. And I do think you're right that, again, this is what I mean about a, a, a new coalition forming with a new path forward that is without Trump and you guys are still smarting that you're not, you know, you don't want any part of it. And it's kind of like, then what do you want a part of, you know, because I don't think that DeSantis does have the, the kind of out of control tendencies that Trump has because we haven't seen it yet. I mean, who knows, maybe he'll rip his, his wig off and, and wolf out or something. But when you say that the, the next GOP is going to be, it's going to be a combination of kind of, Trump's way of bashing media a little bit more precisely, um, along with some of the more nationalistic style policies. And, you know, I don't want to say America first, because even Joe Biden is throwing America first out there. That's not really a controversial thing to say. Um, but if that's the path forward is kind of this hybrid, then, yeah. You, and if the opposite is, you know, Kamala Harris or Bernie Sanders or John Fetterman or that, or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in 2024, then I kind of look at it and say, 
yeah, this is where the rubber meets the road. A lot of people were never Trump. I didn't vote for him. Um, but never Trump does not automatically transfer to never on the right or never stances. And so a lot of them just took the idea that if Trump believes something, then it's bad. And I can no longer believe that. And I think a lot of people didn't go that far. And so, yeah, I kind of look at it and say, again, to reiterate, if there's, if there's one path forward and that might not be, there might be two or three, but what, but they've also kind of signaled that none of those paths are acceptable. It's like, uh, what about Mike Pence? Who, uh, he didn't condemn Trump strong enough. Uh, okay. What about Nikki Haley? Uh, and it worked for him, didn't condemn him. She took down the Confederate flag. Uh, yeah, she, she apologized. Okay. What about Tom Cotton? Uh, he, he praised Trump and voted for Trump. Like, if all you're going to do is find excuses to not eat your fucking dinner like a three-year-old, eventually we're just going to take the plate away and just be like, fine, you get nothing. And, you know, you're going to bed with the lights out. No, exactly. Look, that's all I had. Um, enjoy your weekend. I'll let Joe get on. Oh, I was muted there. So I, I, I was trying to tell Ben, uh, I always, whenever I see him online, I always forget that he has an accent and then he starts talking. I'm like, oh yeah, that's Ben. Um, and I just, I did a whole monologue here while muted. So that's funny. Uh, we'll go through Joe D Donna and I'll end with Craig. So if, uh, you guys can keep the cue down because I'm just going to end up kicking you out and then you get mad at me. Uh, Joe, give me your thoughts on Liz Cheney or the ridiculous CGI of She-Hulk. <laughs> that, that, that's exactly what I needed to wake up to this morning was IMDB, the fucking IMDB <laughs> Twitter account, having to share a tweet where literally it said, louder for people in the back. And it's the cringiest dialogue. That uh, I, I'm not even. I made. I mean, I haven't even. I made one joke tweet because it reminded me of, like, you know, something Tobias Funke would say, you know, as he blew himself. And that was my only thing. Like, I can't. I. I think it looks so bad, and I don't have Disney Plus anymore. I canceled it. I may pick it up with Mandalorian, depending on how the Mandalorian looks. Um, but I canceled it, so I don't even have Disney Plus anymore. Um, but so I just, I get my Marvel fix from watching, you know, clips on Twitter and watching people I know comment on them. And I'm like, how are people paying $12 for this shit? Like it, it looks, it looks worse than like a nineties Shrek CTI thing. And then you throw the cringe on top of it. I'm just like, nah, you people are paying for this. Like you'll learn or you won't. Like, I don't even get upset at it. I'm like, you fucking people are paying Disney to get upset at this. <laughs> So that was my attitude on it. I people like DMing me about She-Hulk. I'm like, I don't care. Like, you don't like it? Stop subscribing. It's that simple. The, the abusive relationship they have with the customers who keep oh, coming incredible. back to that. Is really, I, it's like I, no I gotta, no franchise hates their fan base more than Star Wars, other than Marvel. Like they fucking despise buys the people that pay for that product and the people who pay for that product just keep doing it like they just keep doing it. it's like fuck you and your woke shit it's like it's like millhouse playing the Waterworld arcade game where he puts the quarter in and it and he like costner takes three steps and then it said out of time please put in new quarter and millhouse curses it and then he puts in the new quarter like that's kind of what this is like i'm kind of i'm 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 kind of not on the woke side of Disney Marvel, but I'm tired of listening to people bitch about it. Like, stop paying for it. It's Marvel. It's Captain America. It's like, stop it. 
Yeah, no, I'm 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 right there with speaking, you. I, speaking speaking of she, I don't, I don't partake. Speaking of She Hulk, uh, what are your thoughts on Liz Cheney there, Joe? <laughs> well, yes, yes. Um, I'm right there with you. I'm just bored of all of it. But my boredom even extends to the dispatch and the bulwark as well. Um, Steve Hayes' article, it just basically is, I mean, frame it. Frame it and stare upon it in glory because that is exactly what has become of that particular sphere of, if you want to even call it the right anymore. I mean, they, these guys, they really do hear trumpets in their head when they put, you know, words on the screen. I was going to say pen to paper, but, um, and, and David's very much like this as well, that every time that they pontificate, they think that like the cherubs are listening to them. And I've always said as someone who's not kind of that naturally trained writer like that, I've always said, you guys sound way more interested in what you're writing than what the reader is. And I think there's writers of that of that realm who are way better. Like Kevin Williamson's perfect at that. Kevin Williamson doesn't hear cherubs; he just takes a wrecking ball, right? And that's that's what Steve that's what Steve Hayes' piece reminds you. It's like, dude, you're not writing a speech for George W. Bush here. Like, you're like, what are you doing? And these grand motifs of, you know, that we will prevail through the Constitution, like, like you're hearing, you know, glory be with you in the background. And I think that that's also, there is, I think a lot of that gets mistaken for being smug. And I don't think Steve Hayes is really a smug guy. Um, I don't really think David French is as smug as people think he is. Um, but I can see how it comes off that way. I can see what, how they're writing and, you know, these, 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 you know, just these grand declarations where you guys think that you're writing the next Magna Carta here. Um, I think it turns a lot of people off and especially the people you need to be talking to right now. I think that you lose that audience. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's smug either. Um, and what I would describe it as is like on one hand, maybe naive, but on the other hand, you have all of these you know, calls to honor, losing honorably, losing with grace. And you heard about this a lot, too, with Peter Meyer um, after, you know, he lost his primary after um, the DCCC had invested um, tens of or like several. several yeah, but, but hold on. Remember, remember, the bulwark jumped in and said, don't cry for him. He, he didn't he didn't resist hard enough. Well, yeah, so so that's why I'm actually going to focus on the dispatch for this one, because I've always said the dispatch is the bulwark driving the speed limit, to uh, paraphrase um, Michael Malice. Um, you, had, you had these calls from them for honor and civility, and it's like, and then you see something like that happen, and then you see what happened with Liz Cheney. It's just that, like, again, to borrow another, like, pop culture references, all you guys are are a bunch of Starks going up against the Lannisters. You're going to call to your precious fucking honor and how it's going to lift you up to save the day until you get red weddinged, until you get butchered at the game that you are trying to play at by another team that is smarter than you and is a lot more cutthroat than you and is actually getting the results. Like your whole approach is dead end and it's not going anywhere. And I, I think that they might know that but they are comfortable in their perch with where they are right now because they're getting media hits. 
And I think that that's honestly what it really comes down to with a lot of them with DeSantis is DeSantis and Christina Pichal, by extension, they are incredibly effective at hitting the media. Those guys are dependent on the media right now. I'm kind of like, you know, that story that you bring up a lot with the Weekly Standard with, you know, before they went tits up, why they didn't want to go over the media as much as, say, the Examiner is because they figured that they were going to need the media to, um, you know, provide that security blanket for them. I think that's exactly what's playing out. They don't want to hitch themselves to. But you're not going to you're not going to reach those people going on CNN and meet the press. That's the thing. I mean, and you know that I'm not lecturing at you, but that's exactly I mean, I guess David French was on Morning Joe this morning. Like, who are you if your goal is to fight for the soul of the political right? Like they claim, right? Like they're in a fight for the soul of the Republican Party. Going on Morning Joe is the way to do that. I mean, no, (laughs) you need to be talking to the voters of people that voted for Trump to convince them, you know, of why you're a better option without showing them disdain. And they can't do that because they that's kind of, you know, sitting on panels and roundtables is all they know. And that's how they've lost the right in the first place. You're sitting here talking to each other while ignoring the people that you should be talking to. Well, and that's and that's another theory that I have with them, because it's not actually about winning for them. It's that they want they want the Trumpists and the MAGA and the current iteration of the right to beg them for forgiveness because they want them to realize the error of their ways. And they maybe they think the error of their ways is losses in Pennsylvania and Georgia and losses of Trump endorsed candidates or whatever it may take. Um, I don't even know if it's necessarily they want to get their foot back in the door. They want the vindication. They want the um, the constituency that makes up the new right to come back to them and say, you guys were right. We're sorry. We didn't mean to go down this path. Please forgive us. I think that's what they want more than anything. They want that vindication. I, th- um, I think that that's right. I think that that's I think that that's more. I think you're accurate on that. I think it's more correct than uh, wanting back in the door. I, I certainly I certainly see a lot of that as well. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much all I got. Good to talk to you again, Stephen. It's been a while. Yeah, good to see you, Joe. Uh, I guess I will run through D, Donna, and Craig, and then we'll call it a night, and you guys can all uh, get on with yourselves. D, same topic, same whatever. Uh, are you as, are you as excited to be talking about Liz Cheney's show as I'm not, and I'm actually on the political left. I uh, First of all, I did want to say about the DeSantis thing, I used to think that this – decade would be a repeat of the 70s with you know the kind of xenophobic crook um nixon and trump the incompetent guy biden and carter and then kind of the conservative rock star DeSantis. but i actually think that the nominee in 24 for republicans is probably going to be either trump or someone who we haven't thought about yet you know i think DeSantis is going to be uh kind of scott walker 2.0 so I think he's going to be just kind of old news by 2024. Um, the thing with Liz Cheney that I find interesting is that similar to how the right's kind of having its own kind of reformation process and weeding out people who are, who are um, I guess, too critical of the right or aligning with the left, the left's actually having a kind of parallel discussion. And so I just found it interesting that as different as the two parties are, the left is kind of having this discussion of having people that we perceive 
to be too right wing on our party and kind of weeding them out. Because I think the parallel who, who would that who film, who would that be? People right like now. I would say people like a Tulsi Gabbard or people like a I don't I don't think this is fair, but someone like a Dave Rubin or a Glenn Greenwald, where you just look and you're like they just criticize they just criticize their own party. And I think right. the reason these people exist is because there's always going to be a media incentive for someone who's of X group to speak out against their own. Like there's always going to be, you know, like Anna Navarro, I consider a Democrat at this point, just because it's like you're right. a Republican and now you're cheering on stuff I agree with. So you're not really a Republican. Right. You know, I, uh, do, who would you say who would you say politically is like that, though? So, like, we just saw Liz Cheney lose a primary politically. She went, against, she went, she went, she bucked Trump, went against the thing of the party. So who who would be an example that is like serving in Congress that is like cinema, probably Manchin? Probably cinema. I think there's anger at him because I think there's understanding that Joe Manchin's from a kind of our, uh, red state. I think Tulsi, yeah. like I said, if Tulsi were still a thing, I think she would be a thing, you know, because. People, I think what you're getting down to is people don't mind criticisms, um, but if you're just perceived to just be framing things in a way that benefits the other side, then people don't like you at all. So I don't think right. Tulsi can ever run as a Democrat again because it's like you're hosting Tucker, you're agreeing with DeSantis on the his bills, which is all fine. You should do that in a free country, but then you can't really say I'm on the left anymore. I, is she yeah. doing that? I don't even know if she's really. She hosted doing Tucker Carlson tonight and basically sounded like delivered a monologue that would be indistinguishable from something he would say about Trump and no, 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 no. I know that, but is yeah. she still claiming to be a Democrat? I mean, is she saying like you know, you know, like yeah, take, Bernie, I mean, take not, Bernie Sanders for instance? Bernie Sanders is an independent, although he caucuses yeah. and runs as a Democrat. So, and I, I genuinely don't know because I don't really watch Tucker. But is she still saying that? You know, she said that as, as, a, as a Democrat. As a Democrat, even I believe X Y Z. You know, don't teach yeah. gender theory or things like that. Um, she said that. She said that as recently. I haven't checked in, but she said that as okay. recently as like February. So I don't, I don't know. know. Jeez. I know. She, I know. She does like her videos on Twitter. Where, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, she takes a lot of. I think that has a lot more to do with populism. Is not so much as yeah. left versus right. I think she's way more of a populist. She also endeared herself to the right by just completely decapitating Kamala Harris in a debate and ending her campaign. Similar to what Christie True. did. Similar to what Chris Christie did to Marco Rubio. So I think she's earned a lot of good grace for that as well. Yeah, I think I, you know, I think the dispatch as someone on the left, I actually I agree with the critique of the bulwark. I think the thing that the dispatch is and I, I, I think they would never admit this is I think they're people because if you listen to their podcast, they do criticize Biden quite a lot on inflation. I think that the difference between their side of the GOP and then the other side is they're very like anti the cultural war stuff. And they're kind of cool with a lot of the in, policy if, stuff. if you've ever read Jonah Goldberg, you'd know how hilarious that is to people on the right. I mean, yeah. for for years, I mean, Jonah Goldberg was like the conservative that went on The Daily Show, right? He was kind of the cool, nerdy, young. Yeah. He wasn't George Will in a bow tie. He, you know, he made Wikipedia references and talked Star Wars. And so, and I get people grow up. I get that. But then if you've changed your mind on things, I mean, you're talking about a guy who literally wrote li- liberal fascism. Yeah. And he talks about a lot of the culture stuff. 
And so I get that you get older and you change, but then you should have to tell us what you, why you changed and what you believe now. Bill Crystal is a perfect example of someone who just magically flipped positions and has never explained what, why, because it wasn't Trump. He was trending Democrat before Trump. And that's, so when you talk about like their podcasts and stuff, and they shun a lot of the culture war stuff, that's funny to me is because a few of those guys cut their teeth on the culture war. Like that's what they did. And so that to guys like me who grew, who grew up with Jonah Goldberg and those guys, that's in, that's hilarious to me that they shun a lot of, you know, well, they know it's audience. They know it's, I think, I think as much as people, you know, and then I'll give the next caller a chance. I, as much as I think people kind of shun the CNNs and the Fox News for um, being kind of corporate media driven by money, I think there is a such thing on both sides as audience capture. Like, um, and, and one of the reasons, one of the reasons I say that is because people who, um, have defected from the left to the right are, are kind of usually more of the Bernie crowd, ironically. Like, they're people who are like, the Democratic Party's not progressive enough. And then they start realizing, oh, wait. I'm criticizing Biden and now my audience is right wing. So now I got to be right. And so the dispatch probably realized, okay, our audience is probably actually mostly mainstream latte Democrats. So we got to yeah. start sounding like Democrats. So I think yeah, neo neoliberal, I think would be a good thing. And I think you're right about that. I mean, there's, if, if you would have told me in the year 2013 that I would, you know, be having, conversations or even just tweeting with someone like Glenn Greenwald, I would have told you to go jump off a fucking pier. Um, Zed Jelani is another one. And it's not even so much that they criticize their own side. It's, it's that they're, I find their criticisms honest and there is a difference between, you know, being honest with your audience and being dishonest with your audience. And, uh, and I know you dropped off. Uh, thanks. Thanks for that D. Um, and I think that you have to be honest with your audience at, at all times. And the dispatch, especially especially when they flamed out of Fox News, they claimed that they were going to be honest with their audience. Well, one of the things I harp on, and you've seen me harp on, is you left Fox over rhetoric, over election rhetoric, election rigging rhetoric. You couldn't, you could not abide Tucker Carlson anymore in his documentary over January 6th, which is conspiratorial in nature, whatever. Then you go and you sign with NBC and MSNBC. And just yesterday, we have Tiffany Cross saying we have a civil war. Civil war is here. And you fucking remain peep about that kind of rhetoric. So you're not being honest with the audience. And I think that that's a huge problem. And I do think D is right, that their audience now is probably left-leaning neoliberal, you know, which is what MSNBC has mostly become, other than the craziness of Joy Reid. And it's fine if you're if you're still in this because of that, that's fine. But you're not making a difference for the argument that you claim you are, which is fighting for the soul of conservatism. Well, you're not going to get the soul of conservatism back by sitting on a panel at MSNBC. Uh, Donna, you're up. You're our, I guess you're our last one. We lost someone there. So bring us home for the weekend. I know you have thoughts on Liz Cheney, so I guess just let it rip. Oh, what did I do here? Did I, Donna, jump on? Come here. I'll just do this. I think I hit the wrong button. I think I went to take call and Donna hung up. Give me a second to try and get Donna back. She's one of our regulars, so I guess I could just keep going off about those guys, but I really don't like it. Let's see if I'm bringing Donna back. Try one more time. There she is. Let's try this again. Donna, let's try this again. I know you have thoughts on Liz Cheney. Let her rip. 
Hello, Stephen. Uh, let's see. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're good. Yeah, you're good. Sorry, but I don't know what oh, happened no. there, so go ahead. I can't hear you. Um, I don't know. Unless I refresh my screen, I cannot hear okay. you. So I'll make it real short. Go. Just a little bit of commentary on Liz and uh, Trump, and I have a question. So uh, as unpopular as she was in Wyoming, um, I think she's even less popular than Kamala Harris. So what I don't understand, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, why she would run for president when I don't think she has a snowball's chance in hell. Um, so that's one inquiry I'd like to make. The other thing is a comment. Um, I don't understand all the Trump bashing considering how his presidency went and how poorly Biden is doing. Um, he, we had, I, I remember gas coming down here in North Carolina, a buck 85, you know, uh, the border, look at how it's being overrun right now. It's terrible. I mean, at least he, you know, got Mexico to, you know, the stop in Mexico, whatever it was, uh, that Biden's letting lapse. These are, these were good things. Uh, I didn't like his EPA policies, but, you know, you got to take some good with the bad, bad with the good, whatever. So I don't understand the, the Trump hatred. Yeah, he's a, he's a poor public speaker and, uh, he flails about and, makes off-the-cuff comments that sound crazy, but he ended up being a really good president, if you ask me. And the other thing I really would like your comments on is I noticed you're taking super followers on Twitter now, and um, I'm wondering if somebody signs up and they're hiding behind a VPN if they're going to get uh, dumped when they associate the name with the credit card, if you catch my meaning. Asking for a friend. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to refresh my screen now, and I'm going to hang up and refresh my screen and await your comments. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, okay. Well, we'll get that. I'll end with super followers. Uh, Liz Cheney would be running strictly as a symbolic measure. Um, if, if you're running for president, regardless, and if you have money, which she does, um, and she'll she'll have backers, um, she, you know, she'll have financial backers, the same kind of people we've been talking about. Um, the what what could happen is you end up on a debate stage. And ironically, Trump has been propped up by media coverage. And this is again, Sam Harris talked about this in his thing. Uh, it's, it's one of my things that I've been on for five years now is he's propped up by sucking the oxygen out of the room. And there are a lot of people who are dependent upon him remaining that main character in American politics. And they're, they're dependent upon them for their careers. They're dependent upon them financially. That goes for both pro and anti, by the way. That's not discriminatory. So if she runs for president, she at the very least will end up on a primary debate stage, unless Trump says no, um, which if I were him, I probably would just do that. I would just say, I don't need to debate you, you know? But let's say he's not smart enough to do that and he thinks that it would look weak and, you know, whatever. If you're on a debate stage, you're on national coverage, which means that gives, Lynn Chain or gives me Liz Cheney a platform uninterrupted with cameras on live to say to Donald Trump's face what you think, you know, or whatever, or to say to the country. 
And there is nothing more our media wants than that. Put everything else aside. They want the show. They want to see that. They want to see Liz Cheney tell Donald Trump to his face that he's an election coup fascist and he doesn't and he's unfit and all of this shit. And you will see, you know, Randy Marsh covered in cum levels of our media if that happens. She would, of course, lose. She'd lose several primaries. Now, the question becomes, what happens if there's three or four other people on that stage? Let's say DeSantis is on that stage. Do you think our media, do you think the uh, the debate moderator is going to give DeSantis a chance to get his cut in? No. I mean, you're looking at an engineered primary very similar to what we saw in 2016. If you go back to 2016, if you remember, John fucking Harwood was chosen as a GOP primary moderator. And what that would be, entail, you could have, let's say, let's just say, for instance, you have four candidates. And I'll throw the four that I think probably could be it. Liz Cheney, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and Tim Scott. Let's say you have those four right there. Mike, let's throw Mike Pence up there. The media would love that. Do you think that they're going to ask the, you, that they're going to let Ron DeSantis talk about his school initiatives? Do you think they're going to let him talk about how to lower inflation or bring gas prices down? Do you think they're going to let him do that? No. Every question to them is going to be, do you think the 2020 election was stolen? Just like it was in 2016, every single, every single debate was surrounded by Trump. Mr. Jeb, do you care to answer that accusation that your, your head is too big? And that's what it's going to be. You throw Liz Cheney into that mix, and they are going to make sure that that entire debate is a screen fest between Liz Cheney and Donald Trump. And both of them are all too happy to let that happen. In the meantime, DeSantis is going to be standing there. He's not going to be able to talk. Tim Scott's going to be standing there. And Glenn Kessler is going to be checking his 23andMe. And that's what's going to happen. I guaranteed, 100%, this is what is going to happen. So Liz Cheney will get that opportunity. And because Liz Cheney is embracing the media and embracing ideas the media is putting in her head, I think, she wants that. She's going to take the lead from NBC and CBS and CNN, and she wants that. So that's why she would run. She would lose several primaries, but what happens if she pulls a John Kasich now, who stays in the race? in a three? Let's say it's now down to three people. It's DeSantis, Trump, and Cheney doesn't drop out. What happens this is all kind of part of it, is she thinks that she can split that vote and keep Trump away from the White House. Does that happen? I don't think so. But that, to me, is the, those are the motivations. Those are the two primary motivations. Um, I, can, I can kind of feel some of you just shaking your heads that that's what we're going to go through. And I'm telling you for 100% that that's what it's going to be. And you better start fucking hoping that there's ways around that. Um, the second one was why all the hatred for Trump? I think it's more exhaustion at this point. Um, I, I get people don't like him. I think people are exhausted. Based on the last two call-ins alone, where his name has come up, and even tonight, people are just tired of it. People are tired of uh, him being what's sucking the oxygen away from some real issues, which is who is solving a lot of these culture issues, who is fighting them. We're looking for kind of a, a way out of it. And everyone I've heard now tonight, and even a couple of Collins ago, was that, yeah, if he gets the nomination, I'm going to fucking hold my nose and do it again. And I think we deserve better than holding your nose. But 
that's what people say they're going to guess. I don't even so much if it's bad mouthing and bashing at this point. I, I think it's exhaustion. I think people are ready to move on. Even if, even if you look at the FBI raid on his house as suspicious, we're still dealing with him screaming on Truth Social. And granted, I'm not on Truth Social. And I do see, I do think there's a lot of irony in the fact that the media and our journalists who wanted him kicked off Twitter for so long repost every single fucking thing he says on True Social. That is not above my head, and that's something I may write about later. Um, I think that that's primarily what it is. Third uh, and final, and then we'll all kind of get out of here. Uh, I did enable super follows. I talked about this on the podcast today. Um, I did enable super follows on Twitter. You can do that. Mainly I was one curious uh, because I, I, I do spend a lot of my time on that platform and I do use it to promote my podcast and my writing. Uh, I, I generally do look at all the features that they offer. I, I didn't do Twitter blue or anything. I don't do anything like that. And then I got an application for super follows. Like they, they kind of went through and did that and they, they basically asked me, hey, do you, if, you're, if you want to apply for super follows, here it is. So I looked at the application and said, why, why would you partake in the super followers? And I shit you not, this is what I literally wrote. My hope is to monetize a large troll army to go after the worst actors on Twitter, including Twitter. <laughs> I just thought it was, a, it was a shit post. They're not going to accept. They're going to read that and just go, yeah, we're not doing it to this guy. And they approved it. Um, they approved it a few months ago. And just now the actual ability came through for me to enact it. So I went through and I said, okay, enact super followers. And it gave me like two, three price ranges you could do. So I did the $4.99. You have to give people obviously reasons. So why, why are you going to go and pay $4.99 to super follow me? Um, I don't know why on earth you would fucking do that, but people are already doing it. Um, so I have to, I have to come up with reasons and I'm all, I'm all ears. And maybe you, maybe Pierce has some reasons I can do super followers. The first one, here's what, here's what I figured out. The first thing I will do is I will follow you back. Um, that will give you access to DM me. You can send me story links. You can send me pitch ideas. Hey, maybe you should write about this. Um, and I would even credit that in my writing, but you can send me story ideas or tweets that you want me to look at or, Whatever. So that's the first thing that ability does. So uh, it's an automatic follow back that also gives you the ability to for me to retweet you, which I think would be seen. So if you want your Twitter account amplified a little bit more, um, I, w- I'm, I will be judicious about that. I do have one rule when it comes to retweets. Uh, the rule is you have to make me laugh. It has to be funny. So I did enact it. I'm not really that serious about it. I'm going to leave it up there because if people are willing to do it, great. Um, I'm probably going to bring the price down when they allow me to. (laughs) I was being obnoxious with it. Um, But it's another way if you want to support kind of what I do as far as this, as far as live podcasting, as far as versus media, as far as tweeting, whatever, it's there. Feel free. Um, But I'm by no means um, living or dying by it. But if you have ideas on how I can make it uh, interesting. I've seen people do like they do exclusive Twitter threads. Well, in case you've noticed, uh, I, I don't, I don't do Twitter threads. Mostly. I just do a few tweets. I just, I, th- I hate the format of doing that. And I think it's self-important and self-aggrandizing. So um, that's to answer Donna's question. And as far as like, could you be dumped because now Twitter has your credit card? Uh, maybe um, if you're verified, they have your ID 
So if you're paranoid or if you're, you're not comfortable with that, then I would say don't join super follows. Um, I can understand why that might be a concern. Um, it's going to be fun for me getting audited when I'm audited over like $53 of super follower Twitter income I didn't claim or some stupid thing. <laughs> that would be great that that's the thing that would bring me down and send me to you know prison would be I didn't claim my super followers income on my tax return and now I'm going to Alcatraz. So uh, if you're concerned, I would, I would say that that's not a totally unlegitimate concern that you're giving Twitter your credit card information. Um, do I think that that means they're going to target you for banning? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. So that, that is my explanation for joining Twitter super followers. You obviously are under no obligation to do it, but the first perk that I could come up with is I'll follow you back. And like I said, that if you follow me or I'll follow you back and do it, then that at least opens my DMs up open to you. So you can send me ideas. You can send me thoughts. You can send me links. I'm not guaranteed to respond or to use that stuff or whatever. Um, but that's the first thing I could come up with. And, I'll, and I'm going to try to think of something else. So whatever, it's there. Use it or don't. Um, and I would I appreciate it if you do. So that's it. Uh, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, this was this was a more interesting episode than I thought it would be. A lot of good thoughts. Um, again, I like hearing from people around the country. And like I said, we have someone from Georgia who has kind of their pulse down there. Uh, we have Ben, who's always good to call in. I made Joe uncomfortable with uh, his Marvel takes and a few others. So again, thank you all for calling in on your Friday night. Thanks for spending an hour uh, putting this all to bed. Finally, let's never speak of Donald Trump or Liz Cheney again. I'm fine with that. Um, I will be back on versus media on Tuesday. I know I said I was going to have a podcast tomorrow, but I had to change that over a personal thing. Um, so I'll figure out a way to make that up. I'm going to try to be back on call in early Monday and I will be on Kennedy as well on Fox business Tuesday night, or I'm scheduled to be who knows at this point. Um, so again, thanks everyone. Thanks everyone for tuning in and listening. Uh, this has been episode. What number are we at? 35 already, uh, unchained at, uh, on call in. I'm Stephen L. Miller. And you can also of course get me on Twitter as I just stated. So have a good weekend folks. Uh, stay out of trouble as much as possible, which is not at all. Cheers.